Okay, <clears throat> we're working through 1 John. Let me just remind you again of where we are and what we're doing here. This is uh, our outline. It's pretty basic, but we're in this uh, first section. We went through, if you will, uh, this matter of the prologue or the beginning, <clears throat> the introduction that set a few uh, uh, themes that, uh, to get established. And then the section we're in right now is living in the light, uh, 1 John 1, 5 to 229. And then second uh, section is live as children of God, 1 John 3, 1 to 5. 12. Now, why, what are those themes related to? What is the overall theme of 1 John? The theme of 1 John is 1 John 5.13, that you, I am writing these things. I'm writing these things. You should write these things. <laughs> I, I am writing these things that you may know that you have eternal life. Okay? <clears throat> so the whole theme, so walking in the light is one of the ways that we understand or know and have confidence that we have eternal life. And then living as a child of God, that helps us to know that we are a child of, that we have eternal life. And so that's the theme we keep. I just don't, what I say? I don't want you to forget it. I want you to remember it first, okay? <laughs> then you can forget it later. <clears throat> but <clears throat> to remember, that's the thing we're operating off of. Now, again, I'll say it again. I had every, for, for John to write that, again, must mean that knowledge of having eternal life or confidence or assurance of having eternal life is not automatic. There wouldn't be any reason to write it if it were. He wouldn't have to say, look, I'm writing this to you because, so that you'll know you have eternal life. If, you, if it's automatic, there's no sense. He's, he's wasting papyra there in writing. So uh, the, the whole notion here of this confidence. So how do we have that confidence is by living in the light. And then what does that mean? Okay, so we're going to keep going over this until more than one person knows it. <laughs> and you know what? I start class tomorrow, and y'all are already making me cranky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. What is papyra? Oh, what is papyra? Uh, that's a, uh, it's a uh, plant that they used to smash up uh, and put together and dry it out and then write on. It was cheap paper. It was like 16-pound paper that y'all use. I, I don't use anything less than 22-pound paper. I'm a paper snob. Uh, and then, well, the other more, the more, uh, the more valuable writing uh, material was, was a vellum or animal skins that those were in. But that was really expensive stuff. That's like 24-pound paper and a cross pen. And, uh, you know, so, but papyra is the, the normal uh, kind of material that they would write on. But, but it still, they had to use it and it was expensive at some level. So Paul, John would just be taking up space for writing a papyra. Uh, so he, it's not automatic. So I, I want to say that because I think uh, some people, we, if, we, if, we, if we miss that, then some of us who, as we've talked about, are a little bit melancholic or a little perfectionistic or don't have a real deep sense of assurance to know this book was written for you. This book was written for me so that I might know that I have, that you might know that you have eternal life. So, so we're going to we'll keep working on that, or we're going to start working on it, or I'm going to give you a test next week. <laughs> now, our topic here, <clears throat> we're going to be in 1 John 1, 10 to 2, 2, <clears throat> was confronting to clarify. Confronting <clears throat> to clarify. And I thought this was kind of funny. He said, it's not denial. I'm just very selective about the reality I accept. <clears throat> that, <clears throat> that, that John is confronting... 
some issues <clears throat> in order for us to have eternal life and for us to have confidence. And that, that issue he's confronting is what? Sin. I mean, he <clears throat> comes right out of the gate, starts right out in this book dealing with this issue about sin. I mean, <clears throat> it has to be confronted, has to be dealt with to say, how can we, if we have sin or have difficulty or failure, how can we still have confidence? Luther used to say that, <clears throat> that sin was one of the things that undermined our confidence, our, our sense of, of, of well-being. And so th this whole idea of sort of confronting these issues and not live in denial. I, I remember, uh, <clears throat> Becky and I were trying to remember this morning the name of the doctor. I, don't, I can't remember his name. Uh, <clears throat> but when Becky had cancer in 2000, uh, of course, we went to some doctors, and, and I went with her uh, to all those uh, times because <clears throat> I've read or known, and, and it's true, that when people hear very serious medical news, they often, they just don't hear <clears throat> correctly. Uh, <clears throat> I told you my dad, when he had pancreatic cancer, went to the doctor, and the doctor said, Marvin, there's really nothing else we can do, and uh, you know, if you wanted to be part of a, a clinical trial, you could do that, and so we're driving home, and I said to I said to Dad, so what'd you hear him say? And he said, it's going to be expensive. And I said, what? <laughs> of course, everything in my life, Dad's life was about money. I mean, he was, how was it going to cost? And I thought, you didn't hear a word, did you? <clears throat> you, you didn't hear anything. So, <clears throat> so I would go with Becky. And so we, <clears throat> we go to these meetings. And I said to her, I'm going to kind of confront these guys, <clears throat> you know, uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back a little bit because this is your life and, and I care about you and I, I know this is tough. So I'll, I'll be the bad guy at some level. I'll kind of push back a little bit, which I don't have trouble doing, but, uh, you know, it's kind of a hobby. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, so, so we, go, we go to the doctors and, you know, they were good guys. I mean, uh, uh, helpful, but her radiologist had decided that she was going to go to this huge regimen of, of uh, ra uh, radiology. Thank you. <clears throat> Radiation. <clears throat> I, got, I got lost in there somewhere. <clears throat> um, through uh, Radiation. And we knew that, <clears throat> and it was a lot. And <clears throat> so we went, and I said, called him by his name, and said to him, look, I'm not trying to be rude, but I have some questions about this. I, I, I want to confront this a bit to say, why are you doing this to my little wife here? She's like 39 years old, and, you know, why are you doing this? He looked me right in the eye and said, well, i got to make a living somehow. <laughs> he was kidding, <clears throat> I think. <clears throat> I think. <clears throat> but <clears throat> I decided I was going to confront it. <clears throat> I wasn't going to just say, well, whatever you say, you know, <clears throat> what, whatever you say. Things have to sometimes be confronted and, and looked at. Well, John is, is doing this. Now, on your hand out there, you'll notice that what we've confronted here at some level is confronting to clarify the first error, and that is that we can live in sin and live in the light at the same time. That's six and seven. Already dealt with that. that, that that's confronting that first error. The, the second error is confronting to clarify the second error is in eight and nine is I do not have any capacity to sin. Where it says, you know, in verse 8 there, you can see there in 1 John when he says, I, I, we don't sin. <clears throat> and we discussed that last week. Well, uh, all of these matters about that uh, have some uh, uh, definition here that needs to be at least some extreme to say that. So I, I don't have any, I don't, I don't sin because it says if we say we have no sin, 
And that present tense verb there suggests meaning it, it's a present reality. There, there's no way. And you know, last week we looked at this word, sin. Uh, one, one of the things that I try to not do is to assume that we all understand what words mean, right? That what, what does this word sin mean? What, what, do, what does the writer here indicate? Now, we looked last week, and if you're listening to the recording, how we come to arrive at how a word should be defined, not just by the dictionary, you know, uh, the, the, you, know you, you, you see the word <clears throat> bad, and I'm, we'll start school next week, and they, you know, on the cafeteria line, they'll have Brussels sprouts, you know, swimming in cheese. <clears throat> that's the only way you can get them to eat them. You know, that's the only way. And, and, and you'll say to kids, well, what about that? No, no, that's bad. That's bad. That's bad. They'll say, okay. And then <clears throat> somebody will drive by in a Tesla, and they'll say, that's bad. Now, wait a minute. You just said Brussels sprouts were bad. <clears throat> Are you, see, it's how it's used. And so I showed you last week <clears throat> that how do you determine how a word is defined? By looking at the word in the book that, or looking at the author's word, then, then look in the book. How is it used in the book? Then how is it used by the same author in other books? Then how is it used in the same genre? Like is it an epistle or narrative? And then finally looking at it in the whole section or testament. In John's case, it looks like he's defining the word sin by lawlessness. Law, it says there in John chapter 3, sin is lawlessness. Now, that definition is, seems to be John's, and sin is not a mistake or an error. It's a willful intent to break God's law. Now, in Socrative, I got a question, and I'm going to do my best to again try to move us forward here a bit that John uses this term, <clears throat> sin. So, let's look at verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, and the tense <clears throat> in this verb has the idea we've never sinned. We've never sinned. Ever done that? You say, well, that, who, who would say that? The Gnostics, <clears throat> right? <clears throat> That's Dick's translation. <clears throat> he does not like to waste consonants. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> the Gnostics. <clears throat> <And> remember, <clears throat> the Gnostics... <clears throat> or sometimes known as Gnostics, formerly known as... <clears throat> Stop, Cliff. <clears throat> um, the, the Gnostics believed <clears throat> that they were pure spirit and the body had nothing to do with any reality. Nothing they did in the body had any effect on the spirit. Nothing <clears throat> that they could ever do. So, so they were pure spirit. Now, the body does all kinds of things, but that doesn't matter. And, and, and what you discover in Gnosticism... There are two extremes because the body is worthless. You find the ascetic group that punishes the body, goes through fastings, treats it poorly, treats it bad because the body is of no account. Or the other group that says if the body is no, no account, then let it do whatever it wants to do. And so he, there are some saying, we've never sinned. And John, John said, well, that, that's, not, that's not possible. That's not possible. He's discussed that sin is this lawlessness matter. So John's given us that definition. But the question that was asked here is uh, this matter about John's definition of sin having intent. Remember we talked about that last week? Sin having intent. It's not a mistake. It's not being human. It's not just a failure of judgment. For John, 
the, the matter of sin is always denoted by intent. I meant to do it wrong. And then somebody asked the question, well, what if, if that's true, if, if you don't intend to do something wrong, but you do it anyway, is it, is it a fact that for some people, some things are sin and some things are not sin? And that was the question. And that person, uh, I, I really appreciate it because that, that's, that's an important question. That we would say, well, they didn't intend it. And the story I told you about Barry and Sue last weekend, they didn't intend to do wrong by violating uh, God's standard for living uh, in marriage or in relationships. They didn't intend to do that. So I, I, I wrote this. I say, well, the idea of something being sinful for someone and not being sinful for others is a slippery slope from this standpoint. And so let me try to answer this question because it's a serious question. And uh, I always tell my students that poor teaching is when you're answering questions people aren't asking. <laughs> so I, somebody asked this one. So it may be just one person, but it probably has some value <clears throat> to all of us. So here it is. In the young couple's case, what <clears throat> they were doing, was it sinful or not, because they had no intent to do that. Well, <clears throat> I would say this, that what they were doing was a clear violation of God's will. You can't change that. You know, a person say, well, I don't, feel, I don't feel that's wrong. Well, your feelings may be wrong. Just because I, feel, I don't feel something is wrong doesn't mean that it isn't, right? That my, my feelings are not the basis of the truth of the universe. And so they didn't feel it was wrong, but they, they had no knowledge. And so they, they have lack of knowledge or intent. Now here... Here's where, again, the thoughts and opinions of this teacher are not necessarily thoughts and opinions across the community church, it's elders or leadership. <clears throat> so, but I ask, and I, this is what I teach my students, because I had a person say one time, if, if I don't have knowledge and I don't have intent, then I want to be ignoranter and ignoranter. <laughs> they didn't exactly say it that way. That was my interpretation. You know, ignorant means you don't know. Ignorant means you didn't know because you didn't want to know. That's in East Texas. Uh, that, so, you know, the, the, the key then to life would be this. Don't learn anything. <laughs> right? <clears throat> Stay stupid. <clears throat> Stay ignorant. Because then you're not responsible. Well, now, wait a minute. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> was there lack of knowledge or intent? Listen now. This is, I, I think this is important. <clears throat> this is for me. Was there lack of knowledge or intent an inability... To know God's will? Were they incapable of knowing God's will? Were they unable to know God's will? Was it not available to them to know God's will? Or was their lack of knowing God's will negligence or refusal? See, those are intentional matters. I've said to my students this way, if there's a God and you believe there is, you better make it your life's work to know what he requires. If you don't believe there's a God, then it's all skate. <laughs> but if you do believe there's a God, your life's work, your life's effort should be in knowing what this God requires and offers in all those matters. For example, this way. <clears throat> if I drive a car in Oklahoma... And I'm driving down the highway, uh, road, and it's unmarked. And uh, this is my knowledge from my driver's ed course. 
when I got a license, license here. I'm driving down the highway. <clears throat> state trooper pulls me over and says, you're speeding. And I said, I don't think so. We're out here in the country. There's nobody coming, <clears throat> you know, and I'm not a legalist. When I come to a stop sign, I don't wait till it says go. <laughs> Just think about that. If you're a legalist, you got to wait till it says go. It just said stop. You got up for that to come to Sunday school to hear that. <clears throat> just <clears throat> reflect. <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> that's right. So, so uh, I'm driving and, and, he, and he pulls me over, you're speeding. And I say, well, I don't think I was speeding. I don't, I don't feel like I was speeding. Well, yeah, you were. Well, I don't think I was. This is not going to go well, but <clears throat> you know, I don't think I was. He says, well... The law is that if the road's not posted, there's no sign. Do you know what the speed limit is? 35. 35. Hey, hey, listen. If you're going to operate a motor vehicle in Oklahoma, you better make it your business to know the law. There's no excuse there to say, well, oh, oh sorry, didn't know. No, 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 no. You're operating a motor vehicle. You have a license for the state of Oklahoma. You have to know what the law is here. There's no excuse for that. So, so here's the question when we say, well, for some people it's wrong. For some, Wait a minute. Is their lack of knowledge the inability to know? Is someone unable to comprehend? Even the law, if you go to court, even the law determines state of mind before you ever get charged. State of mind. Did you know? Did you not know? Did you refuse to know? So, so here's what I want to be careful here. That somebody would say, well, I don't feel it's wrong or I don't think it's wrong. And so I'm not doing it, with it because I don't know. I, I think that's a very slippery slope. And I don't think the Bible would enjoin that. Is, there, is our understanding of sin to be a lack of fa- a, 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 a negligence to know or a refusal? I'm just, I'm not, don't tell me. Don't tell me. My, you know, I have, a, I have a friend who's an attorney, and anytime I start talking about it, he says, don't tell me, plausible deniability, plausible deniability, don't tell me, don't tell me, don't tell me. <laughs> Nobody in this room, so relax. <clears throat> right? Because if I don't know, I'm not what? Responsible. I think it's important for us <clears throat> to consider. If you're going to nail down, there's a God. And this God has made himself known. Your life work. I don't mean work. I'm just saying your life's effort should be to know how to be in relationship with that God and what that means. This is not just some amateur hobby where we play golf once a month. Does that make sense? So I want to be careful here that when people don't have the capacity to know or have never been able to. This is where I think Romans 2 deals with people that have never heard the gospel, people that have never had the opportunity, that their level of responsibility is understood that they just have to obey what's written on their heart. But for people who know or don't, or, or don't so I, I just want to make that clarification that I, I don't think that's a legitimate way to approach that, to think, well, there's some things that are sinful for some people, except, let me back up, yeah, this, I knew I had too smart of a class, and they were going to ask hard questions. So I'm going to find out who wrote this and get them out of here. <laughs> okay? 
does that make does that make sense? Does that help any? Does that confuse you more? Yes. Yeah, to, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to know Him. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's related to that. <clears throat> yes. Uh, this is my thinking. The first commandment was there is, don't eat of the tree. Yeah. The knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. And it was disobeying God and they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They didn't know a lot before that. Mm-hmm. You know, what you raise there, Dietrich Bonhoeffer has a fascinating comment on that in his ethics book. <clears throat> when he said that imagery, you know, and, and the, you know, is it a fruit? Of, it, but here's that. <clears throat> to have the, tr- the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was an indication of their independence from God. Who did they rely on to tell them what was good and evil before that? God. And to eat that or to partake of that is the, the fall or the sin of saying, we'll decide. Before that, they don't have to know, is that good or evil? They just, okay, God, what is it? So they're living in this life of dependence upon him, reliance upon him. They don't have to wonder. They don't have to discuss it. They don't have to know. But when they eat that tree, they're saying, we want the knowledge of the good and evil and we'll decide on our own. It's a fascinating discussion he has. Yeah, they want to be independent of him. Yeah, they want to be. Yeah, so, so I don't need to go to him now. I don't need to depend on him. I got it. That's a really fat, because, you know, that, that story causes people, you know, you got a talking snake. <clears throat> I'm going to be a heretic before this is all over. <clears throat> you, you know, you got a talking snake. You got a tree that's got this fruit on it. If you eat it, you're dead. And so there's a lot of imagery here that the ancient world would understand, would know, would indicate to say, here's, here's a group of people that up to this point are totally dependent on God. And now there's this option because they have this ability to choose that we will now decide what is good and evil. And that is the nature of sin, folks. Where we decide, we'll decide. We decide what's good and evil. We'll decide what's right or wrong. And that's what makes us independent gods. Does that make sense? If you're interested, that's, Bonhoeffer's book on ethics is really a good read on that. He uh, had some really wonderful insights. So, um, I'm scared to do this. So, talk among yourselves. See where you're going to lunch. Uh... I'm, I'm going I'm to let Dick take care of that later. <clears throat> and, uh, I'll just hand him my notes. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> uh, oh, boy. Oh, we got to hurry. we got to go. So, uh, here we go. So, <clears throat> confronting the third. Confronting the third one here. I'm going to, um, <clears throat> this uh, matter. Um, that, um, back up. <clears throat> Look here when, John, when he says, if we say that we've not sinned. And that again, the, the verb tense there suggests ever, ever, ne- never sinned. We make him a liar and his word's not in us. Look, but it, the next verse. My little children, I'm writing to you so you won't sin. 
Now, I want to stop here just for a second. Now, when I, when I look at this, I, I don't want to get too far out of, out of bounds here. Uh, but when he says, I'm, you know, you say you've never sinned, you've never sinned. We, we say we've not sinned. Why would they say that? Again, the Gnostic philosophy here that John really seems to be pushing at is this idea. I've never sinned because what matters is my spirit. I don't, the body always does crazy stuff. That's not sin. That's just the body. But inside of me, I'm a spirit being, and I'm pure, and I'm good, and I'm trapped in this body. So I've never sinned. I think, I'm pretty certain, that's the real issue that John is trying to work at. He's got people in the church, people in this group that are saying, we're just perfect on the inside, doesn't matter on the outside. Now, this is going to sound a little harsh, but it sort of gets at this. That's sort of, in my view, from a theological standpoint, the bumper sticker, Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven. Like, it, you know, who cares what I do? I'm a, you know, I'm a Christian over here. Let that sink in just a little bit. That, that's a little bit of that. That it, it, you know, well, you know, we're you know, it's what I do. It's not a big deal because here it's okay. I, I just I want you to think about that. That, that I'm not saying that's a, I'm not saying that's per, one for one, but I'm saying that's getting at that. That what I do on the outside doesn't really have any impact on the inside. But you know, I'm reading this now as a 21st century person, and I'm reading this and say if we say we've not sinned, I, I just wrote this in my notes. Uh, and, and John says, we, we, make, we make him a liar and his word's not in us. I just wrote my notes, just a thought. Are there some people who can't admit they've sinned because of their insecurity, because of their fear of God? I can't admit that. God will destroy me. I can't, I can't admit. Now, let me tell you why. I wonder if there's a secondary kind of idea here. Because look how he follows that up in 2.1. What does he say? You bunch of bums. <laughs> what does he say? My little children. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to confess. Don't be afraid to admit. Now, I don't know. I, I, I know historically I'm certain that he's... It's working with this Gnostic issue. But I just wonder, as I've done ministry and been involved in ministry with people, that there are people that just cannot admit they're wrong. Something will break apart in their entire psychological structure. They've built this thing up so long. They've, they've, they've lived insecurely. They've had to perform. They've had to be perfect. They, it, it, was, it would break them apart. I have a friend like this, not in this room, <laughs> not in this city. Okay, And I've said to Becky about this person. I don't know if this person can admit what they've done wrong. I think it will break them psychologically to pieces. You ever think about that? That the reason people don't confess and the reason people don't admit I have sinned is because they're waiting for this. They, that they either grew up like that or they have a picture of God like that. And so I have to... I have to Excuse it, or I have to say, well, it really wasn't that. It was just my temper, or it was just something. I, I can't admit it because I can't bear to believe that God is this good. I had a friend of mine, uh, as you know, uh, uh, different times. I have some friends that have been in AA, and what a great thing it's been for them. And uh, I asked him one time, I said, uh, Dan, y'all know Dan. Dan, Dan doesn't care if I talk about him. 
he, Dan doesn't really care about anything. But he, <laughs> he told me, I got three friends, you're one of them, that's it. <laughs> he said, I got all the friends I need. <laughs> uh, I hope he doesn't listen to this. <clears throat> uh, I asked Dan one time, I said, Dan, uh, in your, and Dan's been sober for about 30, 32 years. And uh, still goes to his meeting, <clears throat> which is great. And I, and I asked him one time, I said, Dan, uh, just let me ask you about this. What, what, what would happen if somebody in your group that had been in the group and, you know, was a participant like that and then just went on a bender, you know, just, you know, went berserk for a weekend and drank and just went nuts. And y'all knew it. And uh, he came back like the next weekend. What would your reaction be? He said, it's simple. I'd say, what is it? Go, hi. <laughs> That's it? Yeah. Welcome back. I thought, wow, that was not how I was raised. I got the third degree and got told every, you know, and I couldn't change anything, so it didn't seem very helpful. You know, when you did this, I, I know I already did it. <laughs> yeah. And when you did it, I know, I can't do anything about that. But this idea of, we deceive ourselves when we say that because on two levels. One is that we deceive ourselves and call him a liar because the scripture is pretty clear. We've sinned. Is it possible we deceive ourselves and call him a liar because we don't know he's that good to say? Come on. Both. Could be. But I do think there is a connection between knowing and then believing. Yeah, he's for the recording, is it, is it we don't know or we don't believe? And there are a lot of reasons we don't believe. Because we've had experiences <laughs> with people. And so I just, I just so, so let's, let me hurry here. So why, uh, this is the heresy. So let's say, why not? I've written this that you will not sin. <clears throat> why not sin? <laughs> if it's this good, <clears throat> why not sin? Hey, if sin's this easily dealt with, why not sin? <clears throat> and I want to suggest to you what John is doing here. <clears throat> why not sin? I'm writing this to you that you not sin. And the word there is an act of sin. It isn't the idea of just living crazy wild. I mean, that you not commit an act of sin. I wrote in my, <clears throat> my notes here, I wonder if the previous material, so notice here, I, my, I'm writing these things. So what does these things refer to? Previous. Okay, so English lesson. That pronoun, the, these things are what he's, so what is he written about? Well, if you walk in the light, he'll cleanse you of your sin. If you confess your sins, he'll forgive you. So I'm writing this to you so that you won't sin. Why? What would be the motivation here for not sinning? If when we walk in the light, his blood continually cleanses us from all sin. If we confess our sins, we can count on the fact that he'll forgive us. I want to suggest to you that what it is here is the understanding that John has helped his people with of gratitude. Why not sin? Why would you sin if God is this good? I'm writing this so you won't. What, because of fear? No. Because of the verses here that said, if we walk in the light, he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he'll forgive us of our sins. Why would we want to sin then if we are taken with gratitude for what God has done? 
I want to suggest that that's what John is working with. He's not writing this to say, I'm writing so you don't sin, you're going to get in trouble. I'm writing this to you so that you don't sin because look how good God is. A Christian is a person who lives a life of gratitude, of thankfulness for God's forgiveness. The, one of my professors at Asbury said that once we understand the goodness of God, it ruins us for sin forever. Think about that. Once we understand the goodness of God, it ruins us for sin forever. And so <clears throat> we look at this assertion, I'm writing this so you won't say, not because you're going to get in trouble, not because I'm mad at you, but because look what God has said. I'm writing these things I just said to you. Here's a question I want to ask you to consider. Is gratitude a fear or punishment, your motivation to not sin? Which is it? Is gratitude or fear of punishment your motivation to not sin? Really? Is gratitude. Yeah, look over here. I'm going to ask you to memorize a verse. It's way ahead. But this this idea, look over here in John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves what? Punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. Now I'll concede this. And John Wesley often talked about this when we say, well, maybe it's both. But Wesley often talked about, and I think he's right in this regard, because there is no fear in love. Because perfect love casts out. Who, who has the perfect love here? God. It casts out. Because fear has to do with, read it right there, what does it say? Punishment. 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 That this notion of why we obey is not because of fear of punishment. Not because of fear and anxiety that God's going to get you. But because he loves you. I, this, I want you to memorize this verse this week. That's part of the application. What, why don't you memorize it? There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts it out. And that Greek word is a strong word. means to throw it out. And he who is still in fear is not yet complete. Now the word here, perfect, means complete. Kind of full circle. Full circle here. That, and the one who fears is not yet Completed in love. Maybe it comes back to this notion, the love of God, we know it, but until we believe it, it's not completed. Yes? Great question for the recording. She's asking, what if it isn't a fear of disappointment, a fear of punishment, but disappointment? Uh, Yeah, great question. Um, I, I would have to 
talk to a person to find out if in that disappointment there's a sense of shame. I disappointed God. That's where I think there still may be a stinger in it. I'm just you know, telling you what I think here. I hear what you're saying. Wesley called it filial love, the love of a family. I don't want to dishonor my family. I don't want to dishonor this one that I love. I don't want to disappoint them, but I want to be careful there isn't some shame in there that now I'm walking around thinking, I disappointed God. I refer to Louis Palau, who was a, a South American evangelist when he said this. God is never disillusioned with us because God never had any illusions about us to begin with. I'm not, I'm not trying to dismiss this, I'm, I, but I, I, hear, I just say, I hear people talk about disappointing God, and it sounds like to me they are really shamed in it. Now, if they're saying, boy, I just don't want to disappoint God, you know, I, I want him to put a dick, and we'll talk all funny, say, well, I want to live today and put a smile on God's face. That's great. I, I don't want to disappoint God. But when it has this notion of, of shame and, boy, I've really let him down, that's where I'm nervous. But it's a great question. Yes. Yeah, right. <clears throat> a lot of people. Yeah, a lot of people. <clears throat> a lot, people say, I don't deserve grace. I said, Did, you just said an oxymoron here. You, know? <laughs> you, you actually may be a moron, but <clears throat> it's <clears throat> <clears throat> at this point, it's just oxy. <clears throat> So let's stay there. Like, I don't deserve grace. Yeah? yeah? <laughs> Could you tell me something you know? <clears throat> I mean, yeah, but a lot of us <clears throat> have been, <clears throat> you know, I, I may not finish, Dick. <clears throat> we talked to us. I said, I'm finishing Sunday. Uh, <clears throat> Which Sunday? Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. <clears throat> Okay, I'm going to move forward on this one because that, I'm going to relate this. <clears throat> look, look the, on your outline it says there, uh, you know, uh, what does it say? Why not sin? <clears throat> the second one is what to know if I do sin. Because John says this, <clears throat> look here, and I'm going, to, I'm going to respond to that if you don't mind here just a second. When it says, I- I'm right that you not sin, but if anyone does sin. This is an incredible thing. Um, <clears throat> on that hinge, that on that term there, that conjunction, and or but, if anyone sins. Uh, <clears throat> I want to refer a book to you. I don't have any, but it's, but it's a great book. It's called We Would See Jesus. It's in the bookstore. <clears throat> I always talk to, to, always talk to uh, Susie. <clears throat> We're close. <laughs> <clears throat> um, <clears throat> it's a book called We Would See Jesus by Roy Hessian. Roy Hessian, H-E-S-S-I-O-N. And Roy <clears throat> said this. He said, when we sin, and John is saying, my little children, I'm, I'm not mad at you. You're kids. You're my kids. I'm right. But if anyone sinned, here's, here's the picture I want you to see. Are you headed to the wrong mountain? What, what Hessian said, it was a long time pastor's this. <clears throat> when you sin, or when I sin, there's a battle for your soul. There's a battle for your soul. And the enemy, <clears throat> or some of us that have a meticulous conscience, 
And there's some that's like that, aren't there? <clears throat> Meticulous conscience. It's always working. At that moment, the enemy of your soul, or meticulous content, tries to drag you to Sinai to show you where you've broken the law. At that same moment, the Holy Spirit is doing His best work to take you to Calvary. And His assertion is that the Christian life is lived in victory or defeat here based on which mountain you go to. Where are you headed? Are you headed to the grace mountain of Calvary? Are you headed to the law mountain of Sinai? I have sent, boy, I have felt that in my soul. I have sensed that in my soul so many times that when I sinned and failed, I thought you deserve it. You did it. You know it. And you got to go to Sinai. I love <clears throat> La Miserable. Victor Hugo, not the musical, uh, the other one. Or Javet, the policeman who is by the book, by the law. When he does something wrong, he has to turn himself into Jean Valjean to say, I must be punished, I must be punished. You ever hear that in your head? Javet, I think Hugo, I know what he, in one sense, he's trying to write this beautiful Fiction book about grace and law. And you read the book, you know that grace releases people and frees them, enables them to go forward. And law stifles and destroys and restricts till finally at the end he dies. Which mountain are you going to? Which one do you go toward? Is it the mountain of Sinai that lists all the violations and all of the failures? and all? John says here, I'm writing this to you so that if you sin, <clears throat> watch this. We, I want you to underline this word, have an advocate. Now this is interesting. <clears throat> Before <clears throat> in seven, we walk in the light as he's in the light, his blood cleanses us from all sin. And nine, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. At this point, this looks like all the works on God's end. Notice, if anyone sins, we have an advocate. I read this every morning, and I have a little note thing I read when I say this. Remember this, Cliff, you have an advocate. You don't got to go get one. It's not good English, but it's good theology. <clears throat> Do you have an advocate? When you fail or you sin, <clears throat> do you have to go get one? Do you have to beg God to forgive you, beg God to help you, beg God to come rescue you, beg God not to send you into the pit? Are you going to Sinai? Or do you know, wait a minute, as grievous as this may be, I'm not happy about it. I'm not glad I, I'm not dancing around that I sinned. But I don't have to fear. There is no fear in love. For fear has to do with what? Punishment. Hey, who, who took your punishment? Do you still have to pay for this? Do you still have to be punished? Has God not quite got enough? He's got to get a little more. 
We're going to look at that because that word down here knows where it says, if any, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus the right, and he is the propitiation for our sins. That, that word there, propitiation, has a lot of meaning. Well, we'll have to deal with it next week. <laughs> you got another week off. <clears throat> Man. But, but this idea, you have it. Now, what's the word here? Advocate. What does that mean? Advocate means someone who's called to your side. Para, well, it comes from the Greek word uh, parakletos. Para means alongside, like paralegal. They're, they're alongside lawyers. Uh, uh, kletos means being called. And so we have someone who's called to our side. Okay, okay, who did the calling? Huh? Who, who called for the advocate? Go back and read John 14 this week. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm sending you, and it's the same Greek word, an advocate, parakletos. I'm sending you a helper. You're going to need him. <laughs> and I'm sending him. And I'm the one who initiates this. It's not your, your calling and my calling would have no effect on that. This one who is called to our side was called to our side by none other than Jesus. So I want you to underline, you have an advocate. Listen to that now in your own mind and heart. If you sin, you fail this week. You don't have to go get one. You, is that good news that you have somebody's been called to your side to be there with you? You know, I've been in a few courtrooms, not as a defendant <clears throat> yet, <clears throat> you know, not. But I'm telling you, I've, you've watched on TV. I mean, you know, TV's just like the courtroom. It's just, you know, the right towel. It's all exactly like the courtroom. Listen, <clears throat> I, was in a, I was on a jury in Texas and I watched the relationship between the defendant and their, their attorney. And that, there was nothing going on in that room that that attorney wasn't working with that defendant. Anytime that defendant had to stand up, that attorney stood up right beside him. Anytime they sat down, sat down. Anytime there was something that was wrong, wait a minute, Your Honor, I object. That attorney, this is the same word, advocatus in Latin. He's your defense attorney. Now, I've told you this before, but you remember this. The word here, advocated, we have an advocate, is defense attorney in Greek. The, uh, the term Satan or Satan, you know what that word means, right? Accuser. So who you listen to? Satan means accuser or prosecuting attorney. So when you hear accusation, you hear Sinai, who are you listening to? <laughs> or are you listening to the advocate? The one who is called to our side to guide us. To have, oh, I got more here. We'll finish here in a bit someday. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to consider this for some <clears throat> application. What if you're willing to believe that you have an advocate and do not have to get one? How would your confidence increase? I have a good friend who uh, is an attorney. He teaches with me, actually. And we laugh and <clears throat> cut up at times because I'll ask him questions. 
hypothetically, of course. <laughs> and I'll say to Wendell <clears throat> every once in a while, we'll go out to lunch and I say, uh, hey man, uh, <clears throat> I'll buy. He said, why is that? I said, keeping you on retainer. <laughs> <laughs> it's cheap. <clears throat> it's cheap, but it's nice to have. Listen, uh, you and I have an advocate on a retainer. It was paid for by the blood of Jesus. It was sealed by the resurrection. It was confirmed by the sending of the Holy Spirit. You and I have an advocate. So this week... If you fail, I don't know, you may, you may, maybe not. Some of y'all are better than me. <laughs> if you fail or you sin, you don't let that thing happen where you start getting drugged to Sinai. I think for some of it, it's our conscience. I don't think it's the devil. I honestly think the devil's given up on some of us because we do our own work well enough. <laughs> I know a few of you. He didn't have to bother you. You'll bother yourself so much. I'll go to somebody else. Quit messing around with that person. They're, they're bugging themselves all the time anyway. You fail, I want you to consciously say this. Okay, I'm not happy about that, but I have an advocate. He's on a retainer, and he's here with me. I still believe that understanding that kind of gratitude to Jesus will cut the cord of what sin wants to do to us. And that we can live joyful, exuberant, happy lives because we have an advocate with the Father, not the man upstairs, not the judge of the universe, with the Father. Lord Jesus, um, we have trouble with this because this sounds too good. So you have to help our hard heads and sometimes our hard hearts to believe you are so much better than we are that you would write this wonderful letter to say we can have confidence, we have eternal life because even if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father who is Christ Jesus the righteous. Thank you for putting up with hard-headed, hard-hearted people like us and knowing that through your grace, a spark, a light can happen to an 80-year-old person toward the end of their life and be transformed in a second because they finally understood your grace. Do that for us. Do that for us. Do that for us. And we pray all this in Jesus' strong name. Amen.